You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. So we did a report about six months prior where we looked at the cybersecurity of all the political parties, both small and large, domestic and abroad. That's Paul Gallardi. He's the head of threat intelligence and CISO at Security Scorecard. The research we're discussing today is titled 2020 Democratic Presidential Candidates Get Smart to Cybersecurity, a detailed investigation by the Security Scorecard Threat Intelligence Team. We got really good coverage with that, especially following the, you know, the well-reported interference attempts at the election in 2016. We wanted to make sure that we're seeing some changes both in the political parties and the candidates themselves as it relates to their cybersecurity posture. So give me an idea of uh, what you were setting out to examine here. So with the political party report, we really just wanted to assess uh, their maturity level and how seriously they seem to be taking cybersecurity from an external only perspective and without being intrusive or needing permission to necessarily pen test. In that report, we were we were somewhat disappointed in, in the parties themselves. There were some glaring holes in, in some minor parties 
and especially those abroad. Uh, the two main parties in the U.S. seem to have their act together to a degree, but there was certainly room for improvement. So when we took a glance at this, uh, at the specific candidates, I was anticipating sort of the same results that we'd have varying quality of defense systems or, or maturity in place. To our surprise, they seem to be well positioned. We used our tool to, to sort of start off the interrogation, uh, and we really dug into the entire external footprints of these candidates. And, and after looking at the, the parties, I was anticipating some large holes or flaws in their, in their software or their defense mechanisms, and that really wasn't the case. So as, a, you know, as an American voter, I was proud to say that it does seem that the candidates themselves are taking cybersecurity and the hygiene of that uh, quite seriously. Well, can you give us some insights? I mean, what is the setup of a, of a typical political campaign that's being run at this level in, in terms of uh, the types of things that, that would require their attention when it comes to cybersecurity? I mean, at this point, a campaign is almost completely digital. And to reach their constituents uh, from, from email to marketing to now virtual campaigns to accepting donations to, you know, just organizations, it requires a, a litany of, of different technical resources and, and types of offerings. So to, to properly simulate or properly stand up a campaign, you have to leverage quite a few different um, technical disciplines in terms of being able to accept donations securely, being able to uh, maintain a list of all those voters or potential voters that you're trying to market to. It's probably matured quite a bit since uh, 30 years ago where it was, uh, you know, paper and paper and pencil and, and door knocking. It's now uh, primarily, I would guess, a, a digital exercise. And and I suppose it's I mean it's fair to say these are basically high velocity small businesses. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I it's akin to like almost a startup. Like they they have very specific goals uh, and they are uh, focused primarily on that. And and we've seen in other startups that to get that product out to market, uh, they'll sometimes be lackadaisical about other things. And that's not necessarily a their fault. It's just that their business requirements are to get the product or get their offering out there. Just as with this political campaigns, their their objective is to get their message and to reach voters. Um, and we were initially anticipating that perhaps that blinded by that objective only, they might be lax about cybersecurity. And I'm I, you know I'm happy to say it didn't seem like that was the case. That they they balanced their objectives with with also promoting cybersecurity defenses and, and proper hygiene in balance with those objectives, which is the, the job of any CISO. My job is to implement defense or policy, but also balance that with how that's going to impact uh, my business or my uh, primary objectives. Well, let's walk through the research here together. Um, what were some of the areas that you examined? So our product is, you can think of it sort of like a credit rating here at Security Scorecard. We offer a credit rating except it's representative of your of your cybersecurity posture so it's an a through f letter rating and it's often used in, in third-party risk or vendor risk management so uh, the grades updated every single day and if i'm a if i'm a fortune 500 i might want to know of all the ten thousand vendors that i use which ones of those are risky or having some signs of, or indicators of compromise that might be reflective of a future breach so we we put that tool and we pointed it towards all of the, I think at the time there was 15 or so candidates and sort of let it do its thing and create a, a risk rating. 
Um, on top of that, my, the research team really dug into the specific findings to contextualize them, to maybe expand on the types of things that our product doesn't do uh, at scale. And, and part of that is sort of defining a digital footprint. So, you know, if I look at Bernie Sanders, what are all of his digital assets that are public facing in the Internet? And that's sort of the, the foundation of what we call a scorecard. So if we can define all those assets um, and, and then start to look for hygiene issues as it relates to how they're configured or how they were purchased or how they were deployed, uh, that, that's sort of what, what what starts the process. On top of that, we then were really digging into maybe more in-depth types of findings without being intrusive or requiring permission. We, we obviously never stepped over any legal boundaries, but you know we had ex-pen testers that were making sure everything within those offerings, say the website that accepts donations, et cetera, uh, all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed. Well, let's go through some of the specifics together. Can, can you share some of the uh, the specific things that you took a closer look at? I think one thing that was really interesting where we found some egregious findings were applications that are not necessarily sanctioned by the campaign manager or by the candidate, but they do represent potentially the user base of that voter. So for, for Andrew Yang, there was a sort of a website where you can uh, organize with other uh, constituents and plan events or just communicate. It's not an officially sanctioned Andrew Yang website, but to your common voter, it might not be clear that it's not. Uh, and we went through that same uh, rigorous testing. And with, with, with that application, it was just completely void of any security controls. Uh, we were able to you know, quickly show a, a cross-site scripting error where if we were, you know, malicious in, in nature, we could have exploited quite a number of users. We did disclose that to the creators of the website. We never heard back. I actually tried to reach out to Andrew Yang's campaign as well, just to let him know that, you know, even though you're not officially developing this application, it is impacting potentially your voters. Uh, I didn't hear back from him either. But that's one example of, of uh sort of the egregious findings that we, we did we did see. I was hoping from a research perspective, we'd find more of examples like that. Uh, luckily, as an American voter, uh, <laughs> we didn't find many of those on the on their official campaign applications or or, you know, product offering. Yeah, there's some interesting things you dig in here. One of them is uh, you looked at the top hosting platforms that they were using and uh, it seemed like one organization stood out from the crowd. Can you take us through what your research found here? Yeah, so we quickly deemed that it, it seems like when you set up a digital campaign, you're not writing any of this software or your applications yourself. You're, you're leaning on third parties that provide an offering that does that specifically. And I think with my CISO hat on, I think that's the right approach. I don't want to necessarily um, uh, write my own donation acceptance software or or my mass emailing campaign like there that's a there's are well tried and true products that have been vetted by security professionals are used across industries and that's the approach seemingly that, that these candidates took I, I wouldn't be surprised even though I haven't verified it but I would I would guess that the DNC or some other organization like that likely offered a hey if you're going to set up a campaign here are some vendors that we we at least recommend. I'm sure it wasn't mm. mandated. Uh, but if I had to guess, it was sort of like uh, the DNC offered a candidate in the box and here's the vendors that you can go to. And and there, there's a there's a litany of them. They offer different types of services from ActBlue uh, to Mobilize America, Action Kits. They're, they offer different types of, uh, of either platforms or uh, services to those candidates. 
Uh, and, and we applied the same rigorous testing to those vendors. So our product is designed to assess the risk of using a vendor. So we just pretended I was the CISO of the DNC. And it's like, okay, let's, let's assess all these third parties that we, you know, people seem to be recommending to our candidates. And again, luckily, there wasn't any glaring holes. We were, I was anticipating to find some large security vulnerabilities or or just really poor hygiene in these vendors, and they also have their act together. You know, I look at a lot of other companies and in different sectors or different parts of this world, and that's just not true. Uh, Like just a basic pen test or a basic security assessment will find glaring holes. With the candidates and their third parties that they chose, they are taking cybersecurity seriously as from what we can see externally. Um, I obviously have no insight into necessarily their policies or their training of employees, but from what they expose externally, uh, I would say that the, they, it does seem like they learned their lessons from 2016. Yeah, and, and looking at your results here, I mean, pretty much across the board, uh, I think it's fair to say overall they got high marks. Yeah, you know, there were some uh, some lower or higher ones. I always caveat our grading with uh, a B or an A is actually quite good. We've proven that if you have a C, D, or F, you're five times more likely to be breached. We've we validated that internally and had a, an insurance writer under uh, insurance underwriter validate that as well. So the difference between a 97 and 94, I generally don't pinpoint on that much. All the candidates were within the the high B to A range. Uh, the same can be said about their third parties. Uh, if there was like a C, D, or F, that's where I would really raise the alarm. But I don't necessarily consider that much of a difference between a 97 and 94. But we did. We did define that in the report. Were there any particular areas where they needed some attention? It, it's it's a lot of like general uh, web security application development hygiene, uh, like how you redirect from an HTTP to an HTTPS site. Uh, there's a really secure way to implement that. For some of these candidates, they might have been missing old tags, especially if you view it in an outdated browser. Again, the like the exploitability of that at scale or the importance of that is is maybe not as impactful as say like having a database open on the internet or something like that again like the the findings were rather hygienic if you really wanted to get in the weeds there there were some basically web application development processes that they could improve on slightly uh, and, and we're also happy to share this uh, for any candidate that wants to join this platform. Uh, I guess they're they're sort of ceasing their campaigns at this point, uh, but we're happy to share that and let them access uh, the platform and have the, the full details of what are those hygiene findings that we're, we're showing them. You know, obviously one of the things that uh, takes place in any political campaign is fundraising. Uh, you got a lot of money exchanging hands there, um, and, and that can put a target on your back. What sort of stuff did you see when you looked at the, the various platforms that these candidates use for fundraising? So I, we didn't necessarily know how they're, they're storing that money or, or accounting for it. Um, it. It does seem like they're leaning on third parties such as ActBlue or ActionKit or Blue State. These are sort of platforms that are able to take in money via either PayPal or some other sort of point and sale system to, to securely transact that. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that no campaign attempted to implement that themselves. Uh, that's not an, an easy task to properly, you know, securely parse credit card information, enact the transaction and and follow through with that. So they leaned on third parties, which is exactly what if you or I were developing a website to try to accept donations, you wouldn't write it yourself. And the candidates heeded that 
recommendation. So, I mean, is it one of the take-homes here that, uh, you know, in this era, after the, some of the things we went through in 2016, I guess the campaigns have uh, taken notice and, and they've they've adopted uh, so many of these best practices. It seems like overall they're up to speed. Yeah, I, I would say that the, uh, you know, a year ago the parties were getting there, but they weren't there yet, especially the minor ones. They were not taking cybersecurity as seriously as I'd hoped in this 20. 20 election, late 2019 candidates, uh, I would say overall they, the message was sent quite clearly to them. And I, I would think that the DNC, uh, who we've worked with in the past, had a lot to do with that. I'm, I, I'm guessing there's legal reasons that they can't mandate exactly how you implement it, but they probably had strong recommendations of how, of how to set up a, a campaign in a modern uh, digital era. With that said, I, we certainly don't conclude or assert that these campaigns are invulnerable to attacks, especially sophisticated attacks. You know, it's it's my opinion that a Fortune 5 bank that invests billions of dollars into cybersecurity defense cannot necessarily declare their defenses are are risk, uh, risk-free of a, a very sophisticated actor. It's impossible as a CISO to ever think that you've defended that level of, of attack and sophistication that varies from physical access to zero days to you know, in-person human intelligence. And that is potentially an attack vector for these campaigns. So they, that is a, they do need to be aware that that's an attack vector. I don't think anyone can ever conclude that they're safe from that. But all signs point to that I can't necessarily test that level of, of attack. All signs point to that they are taking it seriously. And they, you know, they're as well defended potentially as someone could be to that level of sophistication. Uh, but by no means am I saying that there's not going to be a successful attack in the, in the following uh, primary or, or, or general election. But I, I suppose uh, in general, as you mentioned, for American voters, uh, this is uh, good news that uh, at least the things you are able to look at, the, the proper attention is being paid. Yeah, I, I would say from my research side and my, uh, you know, my offensive side, I wanted to find stuff just to, <laughs> uh, just to, uh, you know, appease our, our curiosity and fun. But yeah, when I when I think about being an American and a voter, I I am relieved that it seems that the the heat has been called by the by the candidates to take this seriously. And I, you know, the scrutiny we as voters and and those of us in the cybersecurity realm need to continue applying that pressure for. For these uh, parties and candidates to continue to take that seriously, I think a lot of that came from, you know, the individual voter uh, and uh, those of us in the in the industry applying that historically, and then you know asking questions about cybersecurity and debates and making that a first order citizen in a modern campaign. Our thanks to Paul Gallardi from Security Scorecard. The research we discussed was titled 2020 Democratic Presidential Candidates Get Smart to Cybersecurity. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero-trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, 
visit N-E-T-S-K-O-P-E dot com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 